gentlemen. We have a special treat for you today. We have the one, the only. Welcome to the State Lines Network. Hey, friends. Welcome to episode 25 of the Boldly Going podcast. Episode 25. Can't believe we made it that far already. Uh, we've been doing this for a little over a year and um, trucking right along with some great um, conversations with some great guests. And uh, this week is no different, and I cannot, um, I can't think of a better guest to have had on for episode 25 than my friend Garrett Gilkey. Uh, Garrett is a uh, offensive lineman uh, in the NFL, formerly with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and also played with the uh, Cleveland Browns. And uh, he's currently a free agent in between uh, because of an injury that he uh, that he had. And uh, man, what a great episode! We talk a little bit about his injury. We talk about life outside of football, what he's doing, um, and uh, the title of this episode. Uh, something that he said in the in the uh, conversation is rejection of odds. Talking about um, just rejecting the odds. People telling you you can't do something or you know, the odds stacked against you that re- rejecting those odds and going forward anyway. And uh, he's got a great life uh, about that, um, that kind of mirrors that. So we talk about that a little bit. Great episode, very inspiring, and that's what we seek to do here in this podcast is the subtitle of Boldly Going being that uh, creative, brilliant, inspirational people of the universe on planet Earth, and uh, that's what we want to bring to you, uh, people like that. So uh, let's jump into this episode. You can follow Garrett on uh, Twitter, and you can find him on Facebook as well. Just look up, up on Twitter, uh, G-A-G-I-L-K-73, G-A-G-I-L-K, G-I-L-K, G-A-G-I-L-K-73 on Twitter, and you can find him at Garrett Gilkey on uh on Facebook as well. So, um, as always, we are a part of the uh, State Lines Podcast Network. Uh, you can go to state-lines.com, find other podcasts, other articles there, some great, brilliant people there that you should, you should, you should go check out. And uh, also, um, go check out my organization. We always want to encourage you to be involved in your community, do something to give back to your community. Uh, that's what Garrett does. He does a lot to give back. He's involved in our, our uh, organization with the Laundry Project. Would love for you to get involved or find something in your community that you can, you can be involved in. You can check us out at engagecurrent.org, engagecurrent.org, and, um, and find a way to get involved in your community. Give something back. All right. Thanks for listening to episode 25. Let's get into it with uh, my friend, the massive, large offensive lineman known as Garrett Gilkey. Garrett Gilkey in my house on the podcast today. How you doing? I'm good, man. Yeah? Good. I got my coffee. Um, Don't worry. I'm going to cut out a few a few minutes at the beginning so no oh, one perfect. thinks you're a terrible person. Oh, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> well, if we need to rehash that, I'm, we absolutely can. Uh, we, want, we, can, we can rehash all the negative things you said about your friends yeah. and family. Well, I don't have any friends. Oh, well, that's a good point. <laughs> So that, <laughs> so makes it, that makes it easy. Uh, <clears throat> I know this, this is gonna be a quick one because you gotta you gotta get I got some time. workouts. I got time. Okay. Um, 
Garrett Gilkey, for those of you who don't know, Garrett is a uh, Tampanian now. You're a... Tampanian. Tampanian. Uh, yeah. Without the skin cancer, hopefully. Yeah, well, you're you're a ginger. It's, yeah. it's inevitable. It's inevitable, yeah. You're going <laughs> to... <laughs> one, of those, one of those freckles is going to pop yeah, up at some point. Yeah, you know, it's little things. They're going to find a way to get back at me. <laughs> All those souls you've captured. All of them. All 3.2 billion of them. One of them is going to make a comeback. One of them is going to have a valiant revenge. Uh, so let me get some context here for those that don't know who you are. Uh, NFL player in between teams at the moment. Free agent. Free agent. Fun story about that injury. Yeah. Um, and uh, you're also on the side really looking beyond the NFL career to lifelong career. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess just uh, we talk about whatever. There's no real agenda, but I just want to um, – I, I want you on the podcast because the, the podcast is all about boldly going. It's about pursuing mm-hmm. your dream, doing – um, you know, inspiration to um, pursue something you're passionate about and do the thing that you love because um, life is short and you don't have all the time in the world. So why why waste it on things you don't you don't love or isn't going to make a difference in the world? So um, I guess talk a little bit about how you got in the NFL, how that yeah. started. Wow, what a what a great um, setup there. That's fantastic. Um, so I grew up outside Chicago in a small farming community. I'm really um, sorry. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went from a small farming community to a tiny college in the middle of Northwest Nebraska, where the only thing to do was troll Walmart and play video games. One of which I did frequently; the other one I never did. And so, Walmart was my stopping grounds. Here's the thing: it's funny though, is that you went to Nebraska, and the joke for a long time. Football players from Nebraska, is they're all big and yeah. husky. Yeah, they are big and husky. I and prefer. You fit the bill. I do fit the bill. Um, I wasn't always this big though. I was undersized growing up. And How big are you now though? For the people not. Well, what's your? I'm s- about six six, a little bit over six six, and probably three hundred and twenty pounds. So I, but I'd like to lose weight. So let's just establish that. But you're, but you're a lineman. You play. Yeah. I am, I am, but I'd like to lose like ten pounds. I think that'd be great. Three ten, okay. yeah. If I could be three ten, that'd be fantastic. All right. Um, so yeah, I went to a small Division two school in the middle of Northwest Nebraska. Um, was drafted in two thousand thirteen by the Cleveland Browns, um, and my there was a there was a coaching turnover at um, in Cleveland after my rookie year. My coach who drafted me. Came down here to Tampa after the preseason, my second year. He brought me down here to Tampa, where I've been ever since. Um, I just finished the fourth year of my contract um, after sustaining a pretty crazy injury against the Dolphins last year. I tore my ACL, my MCL. Um, And here I am now, finally getting to the point where I'm able to train full-time without having... um, you know, like severe pain or like issues with my knee. And so it's just been like a, it's been like over a year and a half process of just being able to get back to being able to function. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about that in a second, but what I find fascinating about you getting in the NFL is that you went to a small division Mm. two school, Mm -hmm. like middle of nowhere, almost impossible for someone to get in the NFL from. Yeah. I think 
there's that's what's unique about your podcast and I think some of my story is the kind of the rejection of what our surroundings can oppress on us um, you know I remember I remember being in high school and asking my you know my my coach if I was good enough to play division one and he didn't think that I was but that I was well fit for division two or division three um, and so having the desire to play in the NFL and be at this level when you have certain things kind of standing up against you is is uh, <coughs> is, is just like makes the story really unique. Um, fast forward, I get into college, and I always again knew that I had this desire to play and, and perform at this level. Um, but my circumstances, be it in a small Division two school, um, you know, being in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska and having these desires. Um, you know, just makes for a, it just makes the mountain seem pretty big. Um, you know, and so I, I very early on set myself aside differently than most people. I remember making the decision like not to party, not to go out, not to get caught up in certain things that like other guys would, you know, be engaging in, which I think are probably it in some respects some like some normal college things, but I just was really unique and like really set myself aside differently. Um, and and so I think in doing that, I just created this um, this really really focused goal oriented mindset, and um, and and so four and a half years later, I found myself getting drafted. Um, but it wasn't with it wasn't without extreme, um, you know. I think some some pretty crazy hardships and some some isolation at times, um, and a lot of nights of being frustrated and, and just trying to navigate circumstances, you know, it was a, it was, it was a pretty crazy journey, but I think the biggest thing I learned from that was just like the rejection of odds, the rejection of, of what can be in front of us and what society or what culture or what even our teammates or the people in our lives tell us about what we want to do or what we believe we can do. I know I experienced a lot of that in college just uh, from a lot of guys um, that I knew. A lot of people I knew didn't, I think, believe that I had the ability to do what I wanted to do. Um, now, granted, I don't think that I fully matured and, and absorbed my or like came into like my full potential until my senior year of college. And so um, I know I struggled with certain things like laziness and um, a lack of work ethic um, throughout those first couple years because I just had this God-given potential to be able to just do and to perform. Um, and so, yeah, it wasn't, I think probably until like the, my junior or senior year where like the light finally like turned on and like I kind of put away those, you know, those like lazy tendencies or those like childish work ethics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as that happened, it's like it just, it just like blossomed overnight. And I, you know, during the season, I think I had thirty of thirty or thirty of the thirty-two NFL teams come out to watch me either practice or play in games. And so, um, yeah, things es- escalated rather quickly. That's incredible. How, how did they? Did your coach put you out there your senior no, year? How did that? How no, because um, they don't usually go scouring division. Two yeah, yeah, much. no, you know, <laughs> everybody. Um, everybody's going to have a different opinion, you know, if somebody that knows me or somebody I played with. Um, but the reality is, is, um, you know, when you, I guess it, it comes down to like, when you get accolations, you, your you know, your name kind of gets thrown out there into certain pools where 
NFL teams will draw from, or at least, you know, exist in. And so my my first year being a complete starter, I think I was first team all conference, and then I pretty much was first team all conference all the way through. I was an All-American my junior year and then senior year. And so um, and so that comes, that notoriety I think comes with the, you know, it comes at, at that level, it comes with people looking and, and seeking and searching. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, yeah, so I, I think the success that I had, you know, definitely invited and brought, um, you know, those scouts and those teams in. Um, talk about, I like the phrase you said, the rejection of odds. Mm. What does that mean? Yeah, so every day, I remember before... I think before my senior year, there was a lot of uncertainty with with wanting to play, um, and being in so so going through that experience, you just your circumstances where you're at. I mean, like you know, I lived in the basement of my pastor's house, and and to think you know that one day I'd be playing on a on Sundays in front of hundreds of thousands of people. Um, you know, millions of people watching is, is like a really, it's like kind of a far-fetched idea. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I was at a small Division two school where, like, there was nothing to do. And so you look at all these kids who are getting drafted and are, are in the media and are about to play in the NFL, and they're all from LSU, Alabama, <coughs> all these big-time schools. And this is just humble, shattering state. And, and so, um, you know, that makes for... That makes for a lot of oppression, I guess. That makes for, that makes a mountain, you know, seem to be in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how how can I, you know, just like small Garrett Gilkey from Shattern State, get to this point, get to this place where I want to be? Um, yeah, and so you know, it's just a lot of times your circumstances, just where you're at, what you're doing, the people around you can indirectly be oppressive, um, and just subliminally just you know seem like they're holding you back well in this case they they didn't they actually propelled me and they i think were actually the key keys to some of my success were my circumstances you know i look at my teammates i look at the guys i played with and like i really contribute a lot of my success to them um you know i know that that there are so many guys i played with that are far more deserving than me um and and so you know, I really, I really contribute a lot to, to them. I contribute a lot to my coaches. Um, I had a coach, his name's Bill O'Boyle, one of the most influential people in my life. Um, you know, the way he coached me, the way he interacted with me, the way um, he treated me, everything I think lined up with what I needed mm. in the circumstances that I were in to defy those odds and to be, and to set myself aside differently. Would you say that, uh, Odds are necessary for someone to succeed or to excel. Yeah, you know. So to expand on that, that makes me think of like anxiety and confidence. Um, and so when you see people that are really successful, you kind of assume that they they pretty much just have a high level of confidence. Um, and that can be true. That can be true for a lot of circumstances and a lot of situations. But I've I, th- I really believe in that, um, you know, that that's not necessarily just the case, you know, so if you have an individual that has a high level of confidence and a low level of anxiety, they're going to experience success. But Mm -hmm. I think ultimately 
that kind of that probably is going to come with more arrogance um, than anything, and which is going to which is going to breed um, some failure. If you have somebody with a high level of anxiety and a low level of confidence, you're going to be inhibited by your anxiety, and you're going to you're going to be unable to to accomplish things you want to do because you don't believe in yourself. You don't have the confidence behind you. But if you have high levels of confidence and high levels of anxiety, they work in conjunction with each other and they push each other. And so those odds, um, let's use the word anxieties or um, insecurities, you know, I think those things were so strong in my life, but there was still a level of confidence that I, I have inside me that allowed me to kind of have those feet off each other and have those build on each other to manifest something good, which they have. And I continue to still see that in my life Mm -hmm. in different areas, not just in football, but especially in football. um, I think that really, really holds true for me. So um, somebody, um, like you said, high anxiety, low confidence, what does it take for that person to overcome the high anxiety, the low confidence yeah. to excel? Because clearly, I mean, you're kind of describing yourself. You, you're, you're a pretty confident person, but um, I feel like, at least at that point, because of what Coach telling you, you're not, you're not good enough. And we, yeah. we haven't talked about this yet, but you experienced a lot of bullying growing mm-hmm. up, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. What is it? What helped propel you past some of that? Um, you mentioned your coach. Yeah, you know, I think, um, man, just to just to put it simply, so this is kind of a tangent, but I have never been a super organized person. But up until like so, like a, about eight months ago, I developed this habit of making my bed every day, and so like that <laughs> one sole victory, if I if my entire day just goes to shit, and I have at least one victory, and that is making my bed. It's a success, and so, <laughs> and so, I I realize like everything else can just be like chaos and hectic, and things can just be out of control. But I made my bed this morning, and I'm going home to a made bed, <laughs> and like that's a huge victory for me. Um, and so, you know, but just to, to go back to what you're saying, man, we get so caught up in the. Um, and the chaos of everyday life, especially when we look at goals, we always look down the road. We always look down the road. We fail to recognize um, that life is comprised of, of mostly mundane and ordinary days. And so learning how to exist in the mundane, learning how to exist in the ordinary allows us to shift our focus to things like a success being making my bed or you know, a success being having a healthy relationship with this person today or interacting with this person appropriately or managing my finances, um, you know, in a healthy way today or, you know, managing what I eat, right. You know, what I, what I eat or my diet or when I go to bed. And so though, you know, it's, there's so many pieces that tie into the overall success or like the long-term goals of what we have. And, um, you know, I know for me that was something I struggle I struggled with, and I still struggle with. Is I look, I have these astronomical goals in my mind, and I take on all of this responsibility, and 
I fail to realize that, like, you know, to eat an elephant, you just have to take one bite at a time, mm-hmm. one bite at a time, one bite at a time, one bite at a time. And most of those bites are going to be, like, really mundane and ordinary bites, you know, and, like, ordinary mm-hmm. days where the things we do and, the, you know, don't seem to be astronomical. But then there comes the point where you realize you're on the mountaintop or you're you see your name on ESPN because you just got drafted, yeah. you know, and that's when we, we get to rejoice in those moments. But to think that, you know, I to think that like we are, you know, that our, our life revolves around those, those, that chaos and that excitement, I think is a disservice to us. And so we have to, we have to narrow in, our focus and find joy in the mundane and find significance in those small accomplishments. Mm. It's such a great point, which I think is, I feel like, especially the way our world runs now with social media and all that, it's easy. All you see in other people's lives at that point is the exciting moments of their life. So it almost builds this picture of, Mm -hmm. Everyone else's life yeah. is fun and exciting, and all these great things going on. And I'm sitting over here, eating lunch and going back to my cubicle. Yeah, well, that was my life through <clears throat> college, um, and there's still a part like that's still my life now. People think that the life of an NFL player is extremely glamorous, and if it is really glamorous for you, you're probably going to phase out really quickly because that <clears throat> lifestyle isn't sustainable. <clears throat> and so. Um, but yeah, no, my, I mean, you know, like I struggle with anxiety, you know, like I've, I've struggled with depression. Like there's very real things and very normal things that like I've experienced that I, I know would be able to relate to, you know, the average person. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's just a, that's a challenge for people is, is we get into this comparison trap where we, mm-hmm. you know, we look at the people around us or this, you know, the, the circumstances we perceive other people to be in and it becomes a huge crutch for us. Um, you know, and I like to say that, you know, Instagram, you know, is, is a, it creates depression. I mean, it, it just mm-hmm. like totally perpetuates depression. Social media <clears throat> just perpetuates this comparison trap that I really believe leads to depression and to you know, all sorts of very, very real issues that if we don't have like a healthy understanding or if we don't have a healthy relationship with such media sources, I mean, they could be pretty detrimental. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think we see a lot of that right now with, uh, especially with politics and things like that, like all in good, all in good heart of sharing things that are happening in the world or happening in people's lives. But the adverse effects of that, creating a constant fear or a constant, uh, like you said, depression is a fascinating observation. Yeah. Um, it really is. I, uh, I, I know several people that are consumed in, you know, different social medias and I just think of it as bondage. Um, you know, and it could be unimposing and seem really, um, harmless, you know, but I don't know. It just seems toxic. I know for me, I was like totally, totally consumed in social media <clears throat> until about like 2014 where I took a hiatus from it. And like, I took like a month and a half, like no, like nothing. <clears throat> and, uh, and since then I just, it's been, it's been really, it was really, really good for me. <clears throat> um, and, 
Yeah, I just it can be it can be toxic. It can be really great. Don't get me wrong. It can be extremely wonderful, and I'm a huge proponent of it. You know, in a lot of ways too. I've written some stuff that's been, you know, pushed out um, on some like mainstream social media outlets. But in and of itself, I think we just have to have a healthy mindset. Yeah, <clears throat> balance of it for sure. Balance, yeah. <clears throat> the law of moderation, right? That's why I love going on cruises for vacation because uh, I don't pay for the. For the uh, internet yeah. access and all that, yeah, because <clears throat> I could be completely disconnected. Yeah, from... same thing. Like when I'm on a plane, I, I'm not going to pay the three ninety nine for wi- you know in flight. Oh, no, me too. I love flying. Yeah, for that's one of those isolation. One of the sole reasons that isolation yeah. of isolation isolation can be so good. I get so much work done on airplanes. Yeah, I get reading done. There's so because there's less distractions of this phone in front of me or whatever. Well, like, and there's like this aura of being on a plane where no one wants to talk to each other. And right. so like as an introvert for me, it's like the greatest, you know, it can be the greatest like three hour experience of my life because <laughs> other than being cramped in a, you know, in a, in a gumstick wrapper that is a, <laughs> that is a chair. Um, you know, like it's, man, it's definitely the introverts, you know, dream. Yeah. Which is funny because I'm not an introvert, but that's the one time that I get to not talk to somebody. Yeah. Except when you have that one person next to you that wants to talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I get real. I get real introverted in that moment. I put my headphones, headphones on quick. In. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I I make sure to establish that <clears throat> quickly. You know another another way to do it is to just take a Bible with you and. Have <laughs> <laughs> Set a Bible out on your... Oh, a King James Version Bible. Yeah, yeah people, most people don't want to talk to you at that yeah. point. Oh, this crazy oh, yeah. person. Yeah, <laughs> Some tracks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, man, that's such, a good, that's such a good thought about life is composed of mostly mundane and ordinary days. I have to, I have to give that to my mom. She's the one who yeah? has been... Um, I am, my wheels have always spun faster than I'm actually moving. And, um, man, my mom has done an unbelievably great job grounding me and reminding me of of that. But she actually, since I've been in the NFL, has coined that for me um, and has reiterated that several, several times as I've experienced things like getting cut or being injured. Or, you know, as I've existed the last several months in this, like, weird space of trying to get my knee back to being healthy. So, yeah. Moms are usually good for that. She's the only reason I'm not just completely off the deep end. <laughs> like, she's so phenomenal, man. I'm telling you what. I don't know how much, like, you know, scriptural or, like, biblical backup you can find. But there is something unbelievably divine in a prayerful mother. And... I see that with guys that have been in and out of, you know, the prison system and that have been incarcerated. The only reason these guys have some of these opportunities and these second chances is because they all have prayerful mothers. Mm-hmm. And so, man, it's like this, it's just like this root. It's like this common denominator in the lives of like men that definitely don't deserve second chances somewhere in that lineage. There's a prayerful mom, there's a prayerful grandmother, there's a prayerful aunt. Mm-hmm. Those are prayerful sister or something. I know for me, man, I would, I would, I don't know where I'd be. I'd, I'd be in a in a box somewhere probably. If it wasn't for my mom, for my grandma, and for my sisters. But yeah, something powerful in that. 
So what you're telling me is that they should be on the podcast right now, not you. No, 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 no. At one hundred percent, no, because I got the wrong people. It would be so humbling, and man, my mom would not hesitate to just tear me apart uh, and make fun of me every second. She's oh, she's the most. She's so witty, and so she's yeah, she's hilarious. But no, I mean, we I've tried that before. We did an ESPN. ESPN came out and did this like big video, like um, I don't know what it is. It was like this big video interview and like piece they did on me before I got drafted and my mom was interviewed and man she did not hesitate to call me out she and tore you up she huh? tore me up man yeah man I would like to see that piece yeah, yeah she's good <laughs> she's good we keep her we keep her at home so <laughs> keep her so um, I so the the Monday you mentioned your mom kind of keeping you grounded in the NFL part of it um Talk about, explain what the typical life of an NFL player is. Because I think there's a lot of stuff that people don't see. Like you see the Sunday people playing. You see them on their interviews. You see them on all these celebratory things that they do. And it seems really exciting and glamorous. Um, But I've also been to, uh, I've seen you in... uh, Near the, death. The, what is it? The two week? I forget what it is. Your training, t- camp. training camp. You saw me near death. Yeah, yeah. I've seen <laughs> I've seen a man sweat more than I've ever seen someone like like a bathtub of sweat. Um, <sighs> and the so I, if I remember right, your day starts at like six a.m. Oh yeah, and you go to like ten p.m. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, easily. So for two weeks during training camp, yeah. I mean, we're I'm probably up at five thirty, and we go till ten p.m. But my mind races. From 10 p.m. till like 1:30, and so you're running off like a few hours of sleep a day. Um, but so typically during the season, we work, and I say work because it is work. Um, we work Tuesday. Um, we have a day, like my day is like 6:30 until 5:30. Um, pretty much the same schedule until Friday. Friday is like a half day. We get off generally at like 1:30 or two, um, and then Saturday we're we're in there from like 9.30 until noon, and we just do like a walkthrough. But, you know, the day consists of getting to the facility, um, eating breakfast, we're in meetings until like 10 or 10.30, and then we go out and we have a walkthrough. We have more meetings um, until we have lunch, and then we have practice, and then we have meetings after practice. And so, the, I mean, like all sorts of types of meetings that you would never even think of. You know, we, we you know, as an offensive lineman, we watch blitz tape, we go over... Um, you know the run installation, the pass installation. We go over all types of different mm-hmm. things. I mean, like it's it's really really extensive. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's far more than just turning on the TV on Sunday and watching a bunch of dudes, you know, get paid to play a child sport. It is it is a it is a science. Like it is extremely intellectual, um, especially as an offensive lineman. Um, you you cannot be a knuckle dragging meathead and and exist long-term in the NFL. It mm-hmm. is a, it is a, um, yeah, very, very intellectual sport. Um, you have to have a complete grasp on everything that's going on. Safety rotation, linebacker rotation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have to know what the quarterback's going to do, what the running backs are doing, what the tight end, if he's in motion, is doing. And so all of these different factors come into play, and you have to be able to process these things in like a split second. And so that requires an astronomical amount of film study. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, just like different types of, of studying. And so, and then you literally start that entire process over, 
each week as you have a new opponent. And so, um, and so you're studying, you know, different guys, you're <coughs> different guys you're about to play. Um, you're studying, studying their technique. You're watching their past game film. You know, you're reading about these guys, you're studying their body movements, their, um, you know, their angles and their, and their steps, their absolutely everything. You're evaluating everything. And so, you know, with, I mean, like that's a, that's a whole nother hour long conversation just about mm-hmm. like what that looks like to, to study and prepare for a, uh, an opponent. Um, but that's, you know, that's pretty much my day, you know, a lot, a lot of meetings, you know, workouts, walkthroughs, and then like a two hour practice usually in the, in the early afternoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of mundane stuff. It um, seems like, like, cause it is in, well, cause I, I grew up playing basketball and played in high school and it was you know, the one thing, if you ever play sports, the one thing you, you learn is that you, you practice a mm. hundred, 200, 300 free throws for the one or two that you might shoot in a game. Yeah. Because it's that repetition, it's that mundane, yeah. it's that constant over and over ordinary stuff for the for the for the, the yeah. glamorous part. Um so I like to think of it as <clears throat> practice needs to be I need to practice harder. I need my practice needs to be way, way harder than I'll ever play in a game. And and so if we see the game being like the pinnacle of how hard my week's going to be, mm-hmm. we're going to lose. We're going to fail. Um, you're not going to experience success because we, you know, practice is all about putting yourself in a position to where when it's time to perform, it's so second nature. It's so um, it's it's so repetitive. It's it's so much. Um, it's there's so much familiarity with it that we're like it's just about going and doing, as opposed to trying to dissect and trying to figure out all these different things that are you know being thrown at you during the game. Now, granted, an NFL games like being in Vietnam. Not that I've been to Vietnam, but I mean it's just like bullets are flying everywhere. I mean like it is it is crazy chaos and it's just like you're at war. Um, but if you practice throughout the week and you prepare throughout the week harder than you you will in the game when it comes time for the game it's boom it's easy you're not going to be as tired um <clears throat> mentally it's not going to be as tough things are going to just come naturally you know and so like that that's really like overflowed into like different areas of my life you know being overly proficient or being overly prepared in something creates this like this simplistic space to be in when you actually perform something yeah fascinating what well, I mean football can change on a dime as yeah. we've seen with the most recent Super oh League. yeah 100% I mean and don't get me wrong you're going to have curveballs thrown at you and it's not that it's going to be easy um, you know but there's but there's just a level of speed that well I guess especially when it comes to speed you know, when you're in practice, everybody kind of knows what each other's doing. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to move faster. It's going to kind of be tougher because you, there's a lot of expectation. In the game, there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty. And so the defense isn't moving as fast usually. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's just a lot of other factors that play into it. And so as an offensive lineman at times, like it could actually be easier than practice. Yeah. Well, I think, I think football in some ways is a really good analogy on life in general. Mm-hmm. You know, I you look at like I look at the the most recent Super Bowl and everyone thought Atlanta's got it. It's like they're thirty points ahead. It's and 
you have the act, the X factor of a Tom Brady that comes back out. He shows That's up to he play, does. and it, life is a lot like that sometimes. Where yeah. yeah, everything's great. I'm coasting along. Life is good, and here comes the the unplanned X, X factor that yeah. completely changes it. And then how do you respond to that when that happens? A Tom Brady does what Tom Brady does. That he did the same thing to us in when 2013 when we were playing the Patriots in New, New England. We were beating them until like the last two minutes, and he came back and just tore us apart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I I remember like walking in. I was like, Atlanta's gonna Atlanta's gonna destroy the Patriots if they don't beat them. Tom, they're gonna come back in the last minute and win the game. And that's crazy as it sounds. Like that's exactly what happened. But. Yeah. You know, it's uh, man. I mean, there, there's so many lessons from that. There's the there's the complacency that you almost can say that Atlanta experienced, and then there's like this there's this. It, it's almost like with Tom that when the stakes are higher and the anxiety, like for him, so like when it's the anxiety, better. you know, raises, he gets better. Mm-hmm. And so, like, man, what a great um, you know psychoanalysis of that exact thing we're talking about you mm-hmm. know like as anxiety and stress and craziness the chaos you know grows it's man he just becomes more calm and more calm and more focused and more proficient and man look what happened yeah yeah well I think that's a great example of what you said about that your practice needs to be way harder than you would yeah play in a game yeah I would bet that you could probably track that for him back to 100% that guy yeah. Is a machine mm-hmm. when it comes to practicing and yeah. learning, and so in those moments, which I like you said, I think is a great analogy, a great lesson for life of yeah. those mundane things. If you're consistent in the mundane, yeah. that when life throws those curveballs, yeah, you can be better. I I really believe so. Um, you're prepared. Um, yeah, I mean it's slow and steady. When's the race? I mean, biting like one, one bite at a time. Eventually, yeah. you know what I mean. Like it's that, that's so huge. Yeah. <clears throat> you mentioned uh, bullying earlier. Talk about that a little bit. I mean, you're a big guy, so at this point, I feel like when you talk about being bullied, no one <laughs> believes you. <laughs> like, you mean you bullied people? You're huge. Um, so I had some, you know, I had some socially awkward years while I was in. My family moved from very affluent and progressive Naperville, Illinois, which is outside Chicago, mm-hmm. very culturally diverse, to a very conservative, um, close-knit, nuclear, you know, community that that was Sandwich, Illinois, and um, I definitely struggled to fit in and to to find a good friend base, and you know, so a company being like an awkward little stringy redheaded kid and like having like this desire to fit in and be accepted like you just and being immature like yeah I, I know that I did, it was just like a recipe to like put myself in a position to like experience some of that um, yeah I did I mean it was a rough I had a rough like junior high like rough first year of high school and then um, my family made the decision to send me to a private Christian high school which I eventually got kicked out of <laughs> um, left the record state. Uh, so, what did you do to get kicked out of? A... I put mayonnaise packets. I folded them up and I put them underneath the toilet seats in the in, uh, in, in the, the men's bathroom. In the men's bathroom. <laughs> and so there was a kid on the football team, 
who, <laughs> like, I, we always kind of just, like, terrorized, you know, as, like, football players. So, you know, we're, <laughs> we prefaced this entire conversation with, with me experiencing bowling, and I was definitely, like, you know, I definitely terrorized kids, too. Um, but he uh, sat down on the toilet seat and got mayonnaise, like, all over him. <laughs> oh, so, like, he ran crying and told the teacher, and, and, man, it was, like, the last straw for me. Prior to that, though, um, me and a few, me and like my one of my best friends, his name's Alden. He was in the Marine Corps for several years. We were sitting at lunch, and the superintendent, um, who happened to share common physical traits of our current president, in having a, a nice toupee on top of his head, <laughs> strolled, strolled by the table. And my buddy Alden goes, hey, are you going to be up there for graduation? And um, superintendent looks at him and goes, why? Are you going to pull off my toupee? Which is like always the running joke uh, around around, uh, um, uh, just around graduation time. And so my buddy Alden, who doesn't, <laughs> he's just like a goofy dude, just starts giggling. And I, you know, I'm laughing too. And then he looks at me in this like extremely demonstrative authoritarian look and says and you the bigger they are the harder they fall and I'm like like man I didn't I didn't say nothing but me being like this witty like smart ass kid that I am without missing a beat I looked at him and I pointed right back at him and I was like and you the smaller they are the further they fly and so, <laughs> and so he uh so somehow um and like a week later, the principal came up to me and, like, and he said, hey, you're going to pull off the toupee? You know, did you tell the superintendent you're going to pull off his toupee? And so I was like, no, no, of course not. But somehow like this perpetuated this fear in this grown man um, that this, you know, and like, so he just un- immediately like associated this with me. Um, and, and, and so, and then the, the whole toilet thing happened with the mayonnaise packets. And, uh, <laughs> and then I got suspended for that. I showed up late to suspension. I had a couple. There's a kid. Um, there, there was a kid that it was like this little freshman kid, and he was like our accomplice. We gave him the, we, after like three and a half years of, of hunting for this, for the code, for the uh, intercom system, we finally got it. And so, like, each room had a, an intercom, like, had a mm-hmm. phone you could mm-hmm. get on the intercom. Right. And so uh, we gave him the intercom code, and while we were, my buddy Alden and I were sitting in these little tiny, like, three foot by six foot cells in this Christian school as suspension rooms, the, <laughs> he, we texted him and got him to get on the intercom, and he said, free Garrett, free Alden, free, I mean, he just, oh, like, chanted, no. free Garrett, free Alden, and so that was the, uh, that was the last draw, and so they... Uh, they decided in that moment to excommunicate me from the church of Christian High School, and so uh, um, yeah, and so this, this it was Christian actually schools, man, yeah, man, it was actually really great. It was I think it was like in late February, and they didn't completely expel me, but they just wouldn't let me come back to school, and so <laughs> <laughs> and so like I didn't have to. You're not like, kicked out. We just don't want you. To we come just don't back. want you to come back. They said that I opened up the door to pranks in their school, which I think is a great honor. Yeah, it's a, it's a great honor and it's a badge that I wear proudly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so I had like a you know six month long <laughs> summer before I went into college. Made like ten grand. It was fantastic. I just like worked the entire time. I had money in my pocket and I didn't have to go back to my legalistic Christian high school. Wow. So. 
So how did you, was that, was that your response to the bullying? You were just going to terrorize oh. the... <laughs> well, you know, I mean, man, what a, you know, what a, that's such an interesting conversation. I, so I was, you know, I wrote an article last year on the bully brain and how the brain isn't fully developed until your early 20s, early mid 20s, and how suffering and hardship isn't easily computed or digested in the brain. Mm. And so... You know, there's a reason kids respond and act the way they do. Um, it's it's when you know you see kids, you know, finding themselves bullying other kids or oppressing other kids when there's a lack of control in their life and mm-hmm. when there's and you know when they're suffering in their life. There's no outlet for them to, in a healthy way, express what they're going through. Sometimes that's you know parents abuse at home, drug abuse, depression, you name it. I mean, like the list is long. And so for me, for a long time, like I internalized these issues mm-hmm. and then. As I got a little bit older, it's I definitely found myself, you know, bullying other kids and and, and and kind of being a jerk to other kids throughout like those those times in later high school. And so, um, it and so I look back and I evaluate now, and it's just like this one big um, psychoanal, you know, psycho, just like this one big case study that I, I have been. And so I've been able to psychoanalyze myself and see these different phases of my life where I've been, you know, I experienced hardship and because I didn't know how to internalize it or digest it, it manifested itself in acting out in class or being a jerk to other kids or, or whatever. And, um, and so, yeah, there was just like, that's a really, really interesting, um, season of life that I experienced (coughs) a lot of pain. I know that I experienced a lot of pain. And I also know that, like, there were times where, like, man, I was not the nicest to, like, some of the kids around me. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. It is interesting. Uh, how do you... So when you when you talk about that now, what do you... Um, could you do some speaking on that? Mm-hmm. What's your, what's your advice or solution yeah. well, for them? So... You know, the bullying has been such a hot topic. But, well, the last couple of years was a really, really hot topic. And like most things, it seems like things tend to have like a fade. And um, so you don't need to see a lot of people. You don't see a lot of it in the media right now. Um, but when I talk about it, people assume that I'm just going to like talk about the kid who's getting bullied. And like, hey, how do you how do you respond? Well, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. Like, you know, if I were to tell my kids, my kids, I'm hey, toughen up. You know, like this is life. This is real life. I love you. I cherish you. You always are going to be protected at home. You never have to worry about these things. Um, you, I'm always going to protect my kids. But I think there's also an element of like, this is life. Mm-hmm. And we just. And that's what you're going to do. And so, you know, when people have me come to their school, I, I'm not that blunt. Yeah. Um, and so, but I really, I, I don't even talk about, I don't even talk about the kid who's getting bullied. I more so talk about the reality of suffering and how we don't have the ability to process some things that we experience as an adolescent, even as adults, I see adults all the time that don't have the ability to process some things they're going through. And so how can you expect a kid who's 13, you know, nine to 14, 15 years old, whose, whose dad beats their wife, you know, his mom and, Mm -hmm. um, or his older brother beats him or, um, you know, the girl that's been sexually abused or the boy that's been exposed to pornography and, and, you know, corrupt and warped sexuality his entire life. How, how do you process those things? You, you just don't, you can't. And so what's important is to realize that 
there are certain things in our life that we just are going to struggle to process. And so, you know, I talk about that. I talk about the brain and the maturation process that comes with development. But then I also talk about how important it is to experience community and do life together. And so a lot of times I'm in a, in a secular <clears throat> circle and so I don't have the ability to necessarily get to Bible needs, you know, Christianese in the circumstance, you know, and like the different cultures I'm in, which is fine. I don't need to be that way. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that a big piece of scripture we find in the New Testament is community and fellowship. And I have seen how that has been like probably the most instrumental piece of my life the last decade is the community and the fellowship that I've had, the friends that I've had, the people that have come alongside me to encourage me and uplift me, the people that I can share the, my struggles with. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so I, I, so I bring the conversation back to that of how important it is to identify with other people that are wiser than us or that have experienced the things we've experienced to, to find solace and, um, protection and, um, confidence in teachers that we trust or friends that we trust, older siblings that we can trust parents. If we have, you know, depending on the circumstances, but our parents, um, because the reality is, is like we just don't have the ability to do life by ourselves. If mm-hmm. I, if you're a 26 year old NFL football player, or if you're a you know a 12 year old girl that's struggling with her body image, you know we just cannot do life by ourselves. And so if that's, uh, you know, if you're the kid who is exercising yourself in control over other kids because we don't, you know, like he doesn't have control, or if you're the the kid who's experiencing that oppression from another kid, um, it's about it's about community. It's about establishing relationships to be able to process those things we're going through. Um, and so that normally, you know, people probably don't perceive a talk like that manifesting in a way like that. But mm-hmm. that's really how I lead the conversation and the topic is it's so much about community. And, yeah. And, you know, and like it, when I'm in a when I'm in a faith based you know setting, I'm able to talk about identity, and you know, not ascribing to what the things the world says about us, like Paul teaches, and understanding that our identity is in Christ and the principles that are taught throughout Scripture, and which are all like you know like valid things. But you know, and I'm still, but thankfully, I'm still able to communicate those things in in a in a non church setting. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of it is about that too, you know, so you, again, you talk about the identity, where is our identity really rooted in? Is it rooted in what we perceive, you know, from people around us? Is it rooted in mm-hmm. what we want ourselves to look like based on, again, what we we're talking about earlier, social media, which mm-hmm. leads to depression. Um, you know, what, where's our identity rooted in? You know, yeah. And so that's a huge Identity is huge too. Understanding identity, understanding a healthy perspective and outlook on our identity. Um, you know, but if we, you know, if we, if we don't have an identity, man, we're going to walk around aimlessly like our entire lives without knowing who we are. Mm -hmm. You know, if we ascribe to what people magazine says about us or to, you know, a horoscope, you know, Mm -hmm. or to, Mm -hmm. you know, um, to what we see on social media, like what we compare ourselves at. Wow. We are setting Mm -hmm. ourselves up for failure. Yeah. We, We have to know who we are. We have to understand our identity and you know, that's, yeah, that's really huge. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is a lifelong learning oh. as well because it kind of yeah. changes and shifts. And, oh, 100%. Uh, 100%. But I love that your approach to that too is is not the uh, the classic approach of, you know, the bullies, the bad guy. And oh, yeah. And well, 
All that kind of stuff. No, no. I mean, this is what is so frustrating because I, I've been on the other side of it too. I've been on both sides of the the spectrum with bullying. Um, no kid wakes up in the morning and goes, "Oh, you know what? I want to be I want to be a jerk today." Mm-hmm. You know, like, "Oh, I want people to label me as a bad kid." Like, no kid inherently wants that. Yeah. And so, man, shame on our education system for assuming that on kids, mm-hmm. that you are the bad kid and you are the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, that's, I, I have, for, in, high, in college, um, I switched my major from pre-med to special education because I wanted to interact with at-risk youth. I wanted to interact with, like, BD, you know, kids that have behavioral or emotional issues. And so, because I... There's an intuition I have in the lives of those kids that are labeled as bad kids, mm-hmm. um, which I think is such a misnomer and such a disservice to them that we label them that way. Because, again, like there's, there's reasons kids are responding the way they are. Yeah. Well, label, labels mean something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you, tell, you label somebody enough, they start believing it. Yeah. Start, well, it's a, you know, it perpetuates. You tell them they're a bad yeah. kid. And, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, if there's a lack of affirmation, you know, if there's a lack of um, encouragement, if there's a lack of love, which I think is runs rampant in the home lives of some of these kids that have struggles, um, and we don't we don't facilitate that in the educational system, um, man, we're 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 not doing what we should be doing. We're, we're totally doing a disservice to them. Um, you know, then, man, you want to talk about the Christian school setting, too. That's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, true. <laughs> there's a whole, there's a whole subset of, of uh, You're rolling on religious, that. I'm gonna, religious guilt. I'm going to lose a lot of social media followers when I post this if we talk about that. <laughs> oh, man. We'll do that on another episode. Yeah. That'd be, that would be a really good conversation. Yeah, I, absolutely. Because yeah. I, I went to a Christian school. I, mm-hmm. my, entire, my entire elementary and through high school. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I saw it. There's, I've seen all the damage that <laughs> happens to, to kids from a, you know, all in, on some level, all in good heart of and we need to instill a religious thought in them, but when there's no there's no freedom to think and to form those decisions on your own, it's a it's a yeah. recipe for disaster. Well, you know when when we try to when we paint the face of Jesus on an institution like a educational system, um, man, it's just tough. I think Christian schools are great and ideal. But in practicality, they're really difficult to function and yeah. function well. Yeah. I mean, just the, the nature of a school system <clears throat> and then the nature of Jesus is a, is a, I don't know. I mean, that's not what I'm going to do for a living. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to figure it out. Yeah, true. I mean, school systems aren't quite designed for uh, actual education for kids. Yeah, true. Really. Yeah. It's, a little, it's more about regurgitating. It is. It's about regurgitating information and conformity. <clears throat> oh, man, we're getting rolling. I'm, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting rolling. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about that more later. But Part two, everybody. Yeah. It's coming. That'll be, that'll be part two. So um, to kind of wind it down, where are you? What are you Talk about what you're doing now. Can so, yeah, I'm a free agent. Um, because let me preface: I love that your your mentality about playing football is not that's the totality of who mm. you are. 
Like you're yeah. smart enough to know that you eventually will have to have a life beyond yeah. that. So um, I think because of my high levels of anxiety, I've known – I've always like – I haven't lived in a way that reflects my salary or um, what the NFL has like afforded me. And I, I think I've done that because I've been so scared to be one of the statistics that just gets broke. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, man, that's, that's like a huge, huge fear of mine. Like, I don't want to be that. Um, and, I, like, I know that's not going to happen. I mean, but um, uh, two and a half years ago, I started my master's. I have my master's in construction engineering. Um, I'm a young general contractor here in Tampa. And so since I've been injured, I've, man, I've grown my business um, I, I own a development company, and so I do high-end design, build, rehabs, and um, a, you know, builds for people. And then I also do like my own investments. And so it started as actually in Cleveland as um, one-off like investment properties. Like I bought my first house in Cleveland, flipped it, um, completely remodeled it. I did that you know with my house that I bought here. And since then, I've done that with. I mean, I think I have like nine projects that I'm building right now. Mm. And so at any given time, I probably have like 20 guys working for me. And so I have structured my time in my day to where like I'm extremely consistent about training. And so like I still maintain that aspect of my life and like my that responsibility. But the rest of my day is comprised of managing different projects and managing my different investment projects. And so like the different houses I'm flipping or building, um, and uh, I'm managing different crews, and so I love building stuff. I love, um, I you know, I love doing like custom craftsman tables and like really cool, unique pieces of um, furniture. I love woodworking, but then I also love large scale development too. And so, um, you know, I'm doing a different variety of you know builds right now. Um, and so, yeah, I've so I've done that. I've always known that like football is not going to be what is going to my identity again talking about identity my identity is not in being a football player for a long time i think like my goal you know my focus was so honed in on football that it allowed me to like really be successful at that but since like i've been i've experienced being cut i've experienced injuries my eyes have been opened up to oh garrett like you can't you know you can't do this forever mm-hmm. and so um and so i've i've been very very fortunate to have a lot of great um, real estate mentors and, and different mentors that are builders here in the in the Tampa area that have kind of brought me under their wing to um, help cultivate me and grow me. But you know, I'm I'm grateful to have a successful development company and a successful construction company, and so um, which I really love doing. I really really love it. I'm really passionate about it. It gives me opportunities to kind of set my own schedule, do my own thing. I can mm-hmm. work till three o'clock in the morning, um, you know, working on spreadsheets or working on, you know, design stuff or, or, you know, pulling different things together. And, you know, so I'm, that's, what's awesome about the flexibility. I mean, I love what I do. 100% I love what I do. If I'm playing football, my mindset's in a, in a fashion right now. And we're like, you know, if I, if it happens, it happens and I'll love doing it and I'll be able to shift focus and go back to playing football. But, um, in terms of like building, man, it's awesome. I'm on my own schedule. I get to do fun stuff like this mid morning, um, mm-hmm. and not be tied up to something. You know, I, I, um, yeah, I'm on my own schedule. Like that's the best thing. Like being able to like have work, but not think of it as work, I think is a gift. Yeah. And so I don't see a lot of people have that mindset. And like, I really do not see what I do as work. Um, 
And so I'm really, really grateful for that. And so I'm going to continue to build, um, build my, my, my firm and grow that and grow my relationships, um, and continue to do what I'm doing. I can't, I can't be idle and be stagnant. I think yeah. a lot of people have been like, a lot, a lot of guys have been, you know, and when they experience injury, it's like they rehab and it's the only thing they do. Like I've, I've built a full scale company, um, in the last, you know, two years. And, uh, I just, because I just can't, I can't sit idle. It's yeah. just like, it's, you know, again, it's about over this, like overachieving mindset of like being relentless to pursue what you want to do. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And that's awesome. Um, and I think that goes a little bit back to the, the mostly mundane and ordinary of, mm-hmm. you know, the person that goes to their cubicle every day or goes to the job that they dislike. Mm-hmm. There are, there are mundane and ordinary things that they can, uh, that they do every day. But they can find peace and they can find joy in that. And outside of that, they can still do the yeah. thing that they love on some on some level. Yeah. So, uh, last two questions was I always end the podcast with one of them's to you and one of them's to the people listening. Um, do you know on the premise of boldly going, pursuing pursuing your dream? Um, do you think that that is a, in your opinion, is that something that everybody has the ability to do? Oh, 100%. You know, I, I am, you know, like, and we've talked about some like crazy things this last hour and I know like I've been really fortunate to like do some cool things, but that does not make me any different than what anybody else can do. Um, you know, it's about rejecting your circumstances. It's about rejecting what people tell you, you can, you know, you can do or what you can't do and just doing and Existing in the mundane, taking one bite at a time, making your bed in the morning and seeing that as a huge victory. Mm -hmm. Um, And then allowing that consistency to shape our philosophy and our worldview and shape our goals um, into into finally being, you know, and like then then we're finally placed in a situation to to do and to go, you know. And so that I think is that man, I think that's a great way to see the this idea of boldly going, you know, it's, it's this relentless pursuit. It's this existence, existence in the mundane. Um, yeah, I think anybody can. I mean, I am extremely ordinary. I know that my life has been extremely ordinary. I've had extremely ordinary circumstances and, um, I've also experienced some cool things and that just comes with one day at a time, Mm -hmm. one task at a time. And rejecting what people say I can or can't do. And more so allowing that to be my motivation. So the more mundane, the more ordinary we perceive ourselves to be, I think the more opportunity, um, the more potential we really have to do something cool. Nice. I love it. Great answer. You're smarter than you look. Oh, man. Thankfully. Uh, all right, so uh, last question to the to the people listening, real quick. Um, you've heard Garrett's story. You've heard uh, a lot of incredible truth and philosophy to think about. Uh, final question is always: What can you do this week to, as he said, do the mundane, ordinary thing one bite at a time to reject the odds to boldly go? Because you don't have to accomplish the whole dream right now. You don't have to do the whole thing right out of the gate. Um, 
you do it one piece at a time, one step at a time. So what can you do this week, this month to take that next step, to do the next step to, uh, on that journey to boldly go and accomplish your dream. So, uh, follow Garrett's example. Thanks for listening, Garrett. Thanks for being on the podcast, buddy. Thanks for having me. Oh, before we go, anything, anything that you want to promote? Any follow me on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I was to say, you no, no, your no. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have Instagram. Um, You're on Twitter though. I do have Twitter. I never really use it though. It's uh, G A G I L K seven three. No, I think more so. Make your bed, everybody. Just start by nice. tomorrow. Just like make your bed. Don't follow me on, on social media. If you want to, you can. You're probably not going to see anything you like, but just make your bed tomorrow morning. See how that makes you feel. I bet you'll feel good. Nice. I love it. It's a great way to end it. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. Yeah. Oh, everybody's done. Ha, 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 ha,